I wanted to escape. So I started drinking and then I started drinking straight from the absolute bottle. And then all of a sudden I um, blacked out. Welcome to The Depression Files, where you'll hear interviews of men who have struggled with depression. We talk about everything related to mental health, from depression and other mental illnesses, to medication, to suicide awareness and prevention, to our current mental health system, and of course, to the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that sharing stories is one of the best ways to chip away at the stigma. I also believe that sharing stories helps to educate those who may know little about mental illnesses while giving hope to those who may be suffering. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. This is Al Levin, your host. I'm very excited. Today on the line I have Emmanuel with an Jones, Emmanuel <laughs> Jones, who is a YouTuber, a certified life coach, and a mental health advocate. Emmanuel, welcome. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Emmanuel, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I know I mentioned to you earlier that uh, I do a fair amount of research around my guests prior to having them on the show, and uh, I know about your YouTube channel, and I did not want to stop watching those videos <laughs> once I started, so uh, you are incredibly charismatic, very, very inspirational, incredibly real, like Mm-hmm. You are very real, and uh, man, I before we even start, I just want to say I'm looking forward to watching your career skyrocket in this field. Thank you, thank you. I, I am very passionate about what I do, so to hear you say that, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's incredible stuff. So I want to start, Emmanuel. I know through watching your videos, you mentioned that you believe you had depression as early as elementary school. Yes, yes. What was elementary school like for you? So I just vividly remember in elementary school, just everybody smiling and being happy around me. And for some reason, I I didn't understand what depression was at the time, but I was like, how come everybody is so happy and I'm not? Um, I vividly remember that even as an elementary school student. And can you give any particular examples looking back about any kind of particular symptoms that you were dealing with? Uh, more so in middle school than elementary school. Uh, in middle school, I remember talking to my parents and asking them, I said, um, how come everybody is, is happy around me? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, when I go to school, I constantly think about going back home and sleeping, or I constantly think about, you know, just sleeping and not waking up. And they're like, that's not a good thing. Um, so that was just one sign that, I didn't enjoy necessarily going to school slash I didn't enjoy just being in the moment, just, you know, being here. But that was middle school. And was sleeping a lot something you actually did? Yes, yes. I used to sleep uh, very often because it was kind of like an escape. And um, I just remember, you know, having thoughts of, you know, man, I don't feel happy. I don't feel like being here. I'm not, you know, just feeling down, feeling depressed. And nothing seemed to bring me, you know, positivity or happiness. Yeah, that's interesting. For me, as an adult, I experienced that as well. Like, I could not sleep, actually, but trying to sleep and being behind my bedroom, closed bedroom door 
was like mm-hmm. a safe space for me. Mm-hmm. Understandable. It's like your own personal space to kind of be by yourself away from others. Exactly. So mm-hmm. in middle school, did people realize this? I know you said you shared. Did anybody, was anybody concerned? Did anybody say, maybe you should talk to a counselor about this? To be honest, no, because of me. So many people that deal with depression, as you know, it's easy to put on a face. It's easy to act like everything's okay when it's not. And I, as my mom says, was born smiling. Um, So I smile all the time, even when I feel depressed. So nobody understood and actually came to a shock to everyone when I said I dealt with depression. They were very shocked. That's funny. I have my headphones on, so my daughter couldn't hear anything, but she came down here while I was watching some of your videos. And she literally said to me, I I thought you interview guys who are depressed. And she was like, that guy looks so energetic and so charismatic and she's 12. And I was like, yeah, wow. you know, that's part of the issue of depression. People mask it, it and, and really do what they can to, to hide it, which, mm-hmm. it, which just makes it all the more dangerous, right? It does. Um, how about getting into high school? Were you dealing with it in high school as well? So high school was when I recognized that something was off because there was a week uh, where I didn't speak, where I actually thought that you know speaking um, wasn't something that I need to do anymore because anything I said didn't matter. Um, and I had this mentality that I could bring other people happiness, but I couldn't have happiness for myself. So yes, high school was the time where I really realized that I dealt with depression or something was off. Right. And I'm curious, this is audio only, but I know that you're a black man and I'm wondering what type of area were you growing up in and did race have anything to do with fitting in or your experience in school? I know I work in St. Paul Public Schools and we've done a ton of work around racial equity. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm just curious about, you know, living with a mental illness and going through middle school and high school. Were there other people of color around? And what was your experience like as a black man or a black young mm-hmm. person dealing with depression? So this is actually uh, I'm going to try and make this answer as short as possible. In middle school and high school, I went to a predominantly black uh, middle school and high school. And I didn't fit in because I was called something called an Oreo, where black on the outside, but white on the inside. And in the black community, we are taught that we're not supposed to speak about our emotions, we're supposed to be hush-hush. Luckily and thankfully, you know, my family allowed me to be able to talk about my mental health openly. Um, But then I went to a predominantly white college and everything Uh, Even though I still dealt with depression, it was the complete opposite. I fit in. I was one of the most popular students on campus. And my whole experience was different. That's really interesting because, like I I mentioned already, just the charisma you have, you have a huge smile, and I would imagine just an amazing high school experience. Obviously, depression can impact that incredibly Mm -hmm. negatively. But it's really interesting. And you're saying you were considered an Oreo. I've heard the term, but primarily mm-hmm. because you did speak about your emotions, you did speak about your feelings, and that was what created that that nickname for you? That nickname for me came from the stereotype of 
black people sagging their pants, speaking improperly, listening to certain music. And I did none of those things. I didn't sag my pants. I speak very articulate. And people were like, you're not the typical black person. And that makes me ask the question, of course, well, what does that mean? So I didn't fit in because simply I was proper. And that wasn't what most students were, I would say, in uh, middle school and high school. Right. And it was seen as, quote, unquote, acting like a white person. Yes, exactly. Right. Right. Exactly. So you get to high school, that's difficult, but you make it through. You're getting to classes and everything all right? So I'm getting to classes and everything all right, uh, but the thought of I don't feel like being here started to creep in, and that segues to college where everything happened, (laughs) where everything changed, if you will. What do you mean everything changed? In college, I um, my junior year, I went through a breakup, and um, not knowing that I dealt with, you know, major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder, uh, I, you know, spiraled down downward, and I traveled to Barcelona, and almost didn't make it back due to uh, over drinking. Wow. Yes. So you were dealing with a breakup, and you think that was the cause of. Your first was that your first major depressive episode your junior year due to the breakup. Um, I would say that's my first major episode. Um, things led up to that, you know. Uh, yeah, that episode definitely was caused by that breakup, and it was a buildup of multiple smaller events, but that kind of pushed me over the edge. Okay. And were you going to Barcelona just to travel a bit or to study? I went to Barcelona for an internship for graphic design, and I'm currently a graphic designer today. Awesome. That's really yeah. cool. So how long were you in Barcelona, and and what was that like? I mean, you made it sound like you barely made it back. Tell us about just how bad the depression got. So I had just turned 21, and I went to Barcelona for the internship, and I wanted to escape. So I started drinking and then I started drinking straight from the absolute bottle. And then all of a sudden I um, blacked out. On the way home, I was mugged. <laughs> um, and that next, uh, that night and the next day, I let's just say I had alcohol poisoning and I should have been taken to the hospital. Um, so I, I barely made it out of that one. Uh, but that was the first episode, if you will. Wow. Was that your first time drinking or had you always drank socially and just you just overdid it that time? Uh, I always drank. Um, I always drank socially, excuse me. And that was the first time where I decided I kind of don't care about my limits since I want to escape so bad. Right. So it was your way of self-medicating. Yes. Yes. And, and I know you did mention in one of your uh, YouTube videos that you are an alcoholic. Yes, I am a recovering alcoholic. Um, I am doing a lot better than I was, and I've overcome a lot of tribulations. But I'm here today standing strong and is no longer a, a big part of my life. Right. That's fantastic. And you mentioned you. a mugging. Did you get hurt? And and do you remember any of that? Or was it when you were so drunk that you don't remember? 
I just remember holding on to my passport and holding on to my like credit cards as much as I can. And then I woke up the next day and my wallet was on the ground, shredded. Everything was everywhere, but I still had everything. So, um, I wasn't hurt. The guy ran away. Um, I'm not sure why they ran away, but <laughs> <laughs> they did. And I'm happy about that. <laughs> wow. Crazy experience. Yeah, so crazy. tell us, uh, so you come back home, mm-hmm. you, you've been dealing with a major depressive bout, you're drinking pretty much off the chain. You mm-hmm. get home and, and how do you address this then? So it's senior year of college and I am actually voted to be speaker for my class. Wow, congratulations. Um, That's phenomenal. Th- <laughs> thank you. And um, to answer your question, I, I say that because I came back and I was still able to function in the way I needed to. It's just inside I was tore up. So, so you still was, weren't getting any kind of help. You were just kind of pushing your way through it. Yes, yes. Kind of like going through, going through the motions, getting what needs to be done or like the basics done uh, just to get by. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you get voted to speak. And is there, does there come a time before you speak or throughout your college career that you actually reach out for help from the drinking or from the depression? No. So, um, there was one time I went to see a counselor and, um, you know, that's when I learned, they said, well, usually the people that look the happiest are sometimes the most depressed, but no, to answer your question, I actually didn't get help until a few years after college where I, after my attempt of suicide. Okay. So yes. you, anything between uh, graduating college and, mm-hmm. and you having a suicide attempt, was that just all just kind of pushing through this depressive period? So ironically enough, after college, I... You know, like most most students, you know, they try to find a job as fast as they can. I ended up moving to Florida from Indiana, and that's when my alcoholism started. Extremely long story short, I was dating somebody at the time, and then I moved back to Indiana to marry this lady, and we ended up breaking up. That's when, again, another breakup, but that's when everything went south, and that led to a three-month span of doing hardcore drugs, you know, drinking and eventually on christmas i attempted by drinking and doing hardcore drugs at the same time wow Mm -hmm. what kind of drugs were you using so i did acid i you know obviously drank alcohol uh cocaine adderall mushrooms just you name it you had it yeah (laughs) pretty pretty much pretty much i yeah. And that was that was a, a three month period essentially, you said? That was a three month span, yes. Okay. Um yeah. And it and it culminated with your attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. And tell us then you you wake up I mean, what happens from your attempt? Did somebody mm-hmm. find you or, or how did you get help at that point? So as I was I was in my apartment and I was, you know, laying on the ground and my dad called out of nowhere and I heard his, you know, the cell phone ring and that actually saved my life because if nobody called me that day, I would have just been there, you know, by myself. But, um, my friends came over, they, they helped me recover, you know, I made it through. And then after that I said, um, 
I, ironically enough, I still didn't get help. Wow. But a year later, I was uh, contemplating again, and that's when I finally said, enough is enough. It's time for me to get help. Wow. And so in between that year from your attempt to the point where you reach out for a help, mm-hmm. a year goes by. Are you still just severely depressed at that point? I mean, you had just attempted to kill yourself. Mm-hmm. What was that year like? That year, I I believe that was 2018. That year, I, it was just monotonous of trying to get through my job, trying to figure out my life. Um, like most people, we feeling lost, feeling, you know, just pain constantly. And, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I've always felt like this, so it's normal to feel the way I do. Right. And you you normalize it. And that's what I did that whole entire year, just normalized a problem that I chose not to face. And did you have a job at the time and were you able to to survive work-wise? Yes, yes. I had a job at the time. Um, I would, you know, similar to how there's like high-functioning alcoholics where they're able to still function normally and do everything uh, at, a, at a good level, it was the same thing with my depression. I've always been the type of person that even if I feel depressed, I get the job done. Right. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't hinder me from getting what needs to be done, done. And were there still symptoms? I mean, sometimes some, I know everybody's symptoms vary quite a bit, but you were mm-hmm. still able to get up for work on and be there on time. You weren't oversleeping. You, you were able to get good sleep and you were, you were functioning just fine the entire day. Or was it only at work where you were able to put on that mask and survive? That is a great question. <laughs> so to be honest with sleep, I actually stopped being able to sleep um, because I, I couldn't sleep. And my anxiety is actually what allows me to continue to go to work on time. It continues to make sure I perform at a high level because I'm so worried that it makes me a perfectionist. So my depression didn't stop me from getting uh, the job done because my anxiety kind of kicks in so that way I can get what needs to be done uh, finished. Wow, I love that. I love seeing you know a positive piece of having anxiety, right? And and that makes a lot of sense. You're you're so concerned and worried about getting there that you make sure you get there on time. Um, mm-hmm. It does also have some negative pieces, like you mentioned. Personally, I think um, the perfectionist piece of us that I find a lot of men with depression have can Mm -hmm. be really detrimental because oftentimes we are creating incredibly high goals uh, that are unattainable. And because we're perfectionists, we don't meet those goals and then we start beating ourselves up even more. That That is true. I actually talked to my therapist about that and they said that we tend to make this unreachable expectation and we're constantly reaching and reaching but by being perfectionist we'll never get there because once we get there we're looking at the next thing yeah it's just never ever good enough and then we have something to beat ourselves up about right right it's a a circle yeah so (laughs) um were you still self-medicating for this year yes so that for that year i was self-medicating i was drinking uh every single day um and uh, that's when, you know, I actually ended up going to the hospital because I got gastritis because when you drink often, you're r- messing up your stomach lining and it could turn into an ulcer. So um, I went to the hospital and then that's when uh, 
Christmas of that year, a year later, I was, you know, about to think about attempting again. And then my friend called my parents. I was so mad. (laughs) My friend called my parents. My parents suggested that I go to a hospital, but they said it's my choice. And I made that choice and it was actually uh, admitted into a psychiatric ward. Well, that's awesome that your friend reached out. And while you say you were so mad, uh, I'm guessing that in hindsight, you understand how critical that was and what an awesome friend he is. Or yes, she, she yeah, she, she, uh, she, she helped change my life. So I think sometimes if there's any message to be taken away from this is that when, you know, when you deal with depression, it's so easy to push people away, but the right people will stay in your life and support you and help you through it. And you should not take them for granted. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, do you know about the conversation she had with your parents? Um, I was, so I was there. So we were hanging out at my place and one thing led to another. And I, you know, she saw me about to cut myself and, um, she stopped me and then quickly called my parents. Um, uh, my parents, I was right there. So they, they, she gave me the phone and, and, um, yeah, it was, it was a whole entire scene, but, um, it helped me talk to my parents and I should have done that a lot sooner. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, I do know, uh, since we're mentioning your parents that, uh, one of, one of many of your beautiful YouTubes is on mother's day and, uh, you tear up talking about how much you love your mom and how much she supports you. And, how uh, mm-hmm. you couldn't ask for anything more in a mom. And I think yes. this just uh, fits that perfectly correctly, right? Like yes, supporting yes. you in this way and also not forcing you. They, they also knew they probably couldn't force you at that age. Like they can't make you go. So right, I'm sure they right. urged you to. And clearly whatever they did was the right thing and it helped get you there. Yeah. My parents are the best support system there is. And I have made it to where I am today, uh, about 99% because of them. I so bet they're very proud of you. They are, they are. And I'm very happy to have them as parents. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, so you have that conversation, you decide on your own to get help. So what steps do you take? So I, you know, admit myself into the hospital and so I drove go- yourself straight to the hospital, no appointment or anything and just go into the ER. I just went into the ER. Okay. I went to the ER. Yeah. And, and you um, said? I said, you know, I am suicidal. Okay. And I was just honest. I was just yeah. straight up honest. I said, I don't feel like being here anymore. I'm suicidal. Um, Which is awesome because I also know how difficult taking that step can be. And I know just how life-saving that step can be. Yes. It's, it's a big step to take. Uh, being honest with your situation. Yeah. I, th- you know, I, th- I think that depression, it, it makes you really think to yourself about all these negative, bad things. But one thing it doesn't tend to do is give you courage to right. say, I am hurting. Like yeah. it doesn't get, you know, to tell somebody else that it doesn't make you want to be vulnerable. Right. <laughs> right. For me. And I think for a lot of men, there's a lot of shame about it. You don't want anybody yeah. to know. You don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. So you step into the ER, you say, I'm suicidal. And they say, like, what happens next? Walk us through it. 
Yeah, so I, I walked in there and, and I said I was suicidal. They had me sit down. Um, I had to fill out this stuff. They immediately, um, after some time, obviously, but they, they take me back to, you know, where this thing, and, and I go into this, like, middle place, like, kind of like a, a waiting room, but I don't have my stuff with me. You know, I'm wearing this uh, cloth or cloak. What um, The little gown? Yeah, the gown. Thank you. I'm okay. wearing this gown. I wait there, and then they say, all right, we are going to admit you into the psychiatric ward because, you know, I'm a, I'm a danger to myself. Um, so I get admitted. What were you thinking at that moment? Were you were you expecting that, or were you like, holy crap, this is real? Um, in that moment, I, I kind of was – I would say I was dazed. Uh-huh. I was I was so – depressed and so out of it that i didn't even really i wasn't even in the moment i was kind of just going through the motions i was like okay whatever like i don't care what happens you know right a bit surreal i bet yeah surreal that's definitely the word surreal um but then they they admit me and i spend five days there and it's a combination of multiple therapy sessions a psychiatrist you know diagnoses you which which that's a whole different story. I was actually misdiagnosed. Um, <laughs> but okay. what um, diagnosis did they give you at the time? Bipolar depression. Okay. Bipolar depression. So, and, and you know, I want to ask you about that too, because mm-hmm. I know you, you mentioned bipolar depression and I'm curious because typically I hear it either described as bipolar one or bipolar mm-hmm. two, and mm-hmm. both are typically accompanied with depression, but I right. haven't, heard the term typically bipolar depression unless maybe somebody is describing the type of depression they're going through because they have bipolar one or bipolar two. So yes. Can you elaborate? I, yes. So I'm saying bipolar depression, but it is bipolar disorder type two. Okay. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. But I, I don't actually have bipolar disorder type two. Um, Which you I, just recently found out about, right? Just recently found out about that. Like three weeks ago, I think, from what I saw. Yeah. <laughs> you really do your research. <laughs> I'm trying, man. I'm trying. So so you – well, let's uh, – before we get into the misdiagnosis, so uh, which I really want to hear about because that's an important piece of your story. Yes. And it's an important piece that – and I know you said you wanted to hear if anybody else. I guarantee you many others are misdiagnosed. Typically, the misdiagnosis I've learned about from this podcast in particular and meeting a lot of men is that typically people go through a major depression and they get to, they get diagnosed with depression. They go on an antidepressant and they go into a, a, a full-blown mania because of the meds, and mm. then they realize they actually have bipolar disorder. I don't know if I've heard of too many people or any maybe uh, that were diagnosed bipolar disorder and then it's changed to major depression and and generalized anxiety like your case. Mm. At any rate, I will stop talking. So you can tell us, (laughs) you get diagnosed, you're in there for five days, there's some therapy, they give you meds based on their bipolar disorder um, Mm. diagnosis. Yes. And what are those five days like? No, all we have was TV. You're not allowed to uh, have your phone, have your belongings. You had to wear a gown um, at all times. And it was quite an interesting experience because you're placed with other people that deal with a mental illness from schizophrenia all the way to depression. And wow. 
that was quite an interesting experience. They serve you food. It's kind of like, I don't like to make this comparison, but it's kind of like you're in jail, but you're being taken care of. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But it is fairly, it sounds like in your case, it, there was, it was a bit therapeutic. There were some courses and some learning as well. Yes, there okay. was therapy sessions and they gave you worksheets. They gave you different types of skills to practice when you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious. Or awesome. That, that's really cool. Yeah. That's cool because some of the men I've learned um, who have had a suicide attempt go into like a 72-hour hold situation where essentially it's like, here, we're going to try to get you medicated properly and we're going to make sure you don't kill yourself and then you're out the door. Um, oh, and that's there's sad. very little. Yeah. So, so it's, it's nice to hear that there was some therapy involved with this and homework and worksheets. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, would you describe it as a good, healthy experience? One that helped uh, support you? Hmm. Actually, I've never thought about how that experience impacted me. I would say it's an experience that I needed to have and it, started my mental health improvement journey. So even though like I was misdiagnosed, it still was a step for me to take to say, I'm going to get help outside of myself. So it was a very helpful experience in that way. Right. Right. And yeah. how long ago was this again? Uh, this was December, not December, sorry, January of 2019. Okay. So almost uh, approximately a year you lived with a misdiagnosis and being treated with a misdiagnosed. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's been an interesting year, but here we are today. And, and I'm, I'm happy to say, uh, I believe we got the right diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> so take us to the point you walk out that door after five days and, and how are you feeling? And are you kind of freaking out? Like, okay, now I'm on my own again, and five days ago I wanted to die? Right, right. I I left feeling a bit of hope because I was hoping, I was hopeful that the medication would help. Right. And I was kind of, you know, a little bit like, mm, is it really going to work? Doubtful. But I was so ready to get out. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. so ready to get back to my family, my friends, my apartment. Right. Um, and did you start? Did you start with a therapist at that point, or any other therapy after that situation and exiting, uh, leaving that hospital? Yes. So they actually um, make sure that you are set up with the therapist at least, if, you know, for a few months afterwards. Uh, but in 2019. I actually ended up going to therapy for about a month or two and then moved to Florida. Um, so I, I wasn't able to go through the full process of what it's like to go through a psychiatric ward and then the outpatient program. Right, right. And yeah. what uh, what caused you to move? Was this a, another situation with another woman? Uh, no. So this time I moved uh, for a job opportunity, which I currently am still at. Oh, awesome. And cool. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's any to any uh, any suggestion for somebody or a quick suggestion for anybody is if you're moving, make sure you are still setting up the necessities for your mental health because I did not. Okay, wow. So tell us about that. You you were still on medication at the time of the move, but but no therapy. 
Yes. So I moved and I was still on medication at the time. It was on um ep- I was on Abilify, excuse me. And then it ran out. <laughs> and And you had no prescribing doc there. I had no prescribing oh, no. doctor. So I went through withdrawals. Oh, it was no. yeah, it was terrible. And most um, most uh, yeah. most of these meds require you to wean off as well, and you probably just were cold turkey done. It was cold turkey. Whew. It was it was not good. Um, and I didn't get as you know as you know I didn't see a professional until I believe it was October of last year, and then I had to wait until three weeks ago to see a psychiatrist. So. Again, if you move, take action into setting up the necessities you need for your mental health. Wow. So there was a quite a bit of time there where you had no meds, no therapy. Mm-hmm. There was. There and, was. And uh, But you were surviving okay and you didn't go back into the drugs or alcohol or anything? Um, I did. So I did go back into the alcohol and uh, I didn't go into a hard drugs but i noticed that my emotions were all over the place again i felt depressed at some moments i felt manic at some moments it was just it was just all over the place yeah so that's how that process was during that time and how did you finally connect then with a therapist so i uh talked to a few coworkers about the system here like where is the best place to get you know a doctor get some help. They told me about a system here and I, I made the call again. I took action, uh, to improve my mental health and I made the call. They set me up with a doctor from there. They set me up with a psychiatrist and I'm going to be seeing the psychiatrist again for the second time this month. Awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, so now take us to the, the very appointment about three weeks ago, where a psychiatrist tells you, no, you know what? You do not have bipolar disorder. Actually, you have major depression and generalized anxiety. Yeah, I I went to the appointment and, you know, felt kind of happy to get an appointment with a psychiatrist. And then he asked me tons of questions, was very thorough. And that's when he says to me, Emmanuel, uh, I will strongly be able to say that you don't have bipolar depression. I'm strongly believing that you have major depressive disorder and generalized anxiety disorder. And I looked at him and I was like, hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I've been taking medication for a year for bipolar depression. He was like, well, it makes sense that you feel the way you do because that medication's for something else. Um, so surprisingly i wasn't upset i wasn't mad i wasn't disappointed i was like yay there actually could be something better for me out there there actually could be something that could solve what i'm going through um i felt happy i kind of felt relieved when i heard that news so just to to make sure i understood correctly what made you happy was really the fact that you had been on medicine and hadn't really felt so great ever on the meds Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. knowing that you have a, a diagnosis that you're very hopeful is accurate, they can actually treat you properly and give you the correct medicine. And you're really hopeful that, that having the correct meds will actually make you f- feel better. 
That is exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, that um, is awesome. Yes, I I do want to make sure I, I say this. A lot of times doing YouTube, I get a lot of comments and a lot of people say, I just want to see a psychiatrist and they say I have depression and they say it in a very sad manner. And I just want to say, really think about what you just said. You finally most likely have a reason why you feel the way you do. So now that you know that reason, you can do something about it. That's a really good point. Yeah. A really, yeah. really good point because I strongly believe, and it's probably obvious, that uh, when you get to a place of hopelessness, man, that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. It is. It is. Um, it's hard to get out of. Oh, it yeah. It's hard to get out of. So you are now on different medis- medications, and mm-hmm. uh, are you seeing a talk therapist as well? Uh, they suggested that I see a talk therapist, but um, currently I'm not seeing a talk therapist, and I think I might change my mind because there are things that I could work on, and I think that uh, CBT could be very helpful. Yeah, I say go for it. Go for it. Why why not? Yeah, (laughs) that's true. It could only help. (laughs) And and then uh, for people who do try a psychologist or a talk therapist, one of the things I always say is, you probably realize this, Emmanuel, but you really have to find somebody you click with. And I would Mm -hmm. say don't uh, discount the therapist after one appointment, but give them a chance for two or three appointments. And if you aren't clicking, don't give up on therapy. But try somebody else, because if you find somebody you can really connect with, really trust, then I think that's when the work can really begin. Yes, I agree. A lot of people, you know, give up right after one session. I'm like, or they give up after a bad experience. I My first therapist made me cry. <laughs> wow. But that didn't make me say all therapists are bad, just... I didn't mesh with that one. Yeah. So right now um, you're still in that very hopeful spot and you're excited about the psychiatrist you're seeing and the new course of medications. Yes. Yes. The medication um, makes me feel a lot better. Uh, I have my moments, but we all do. Yeah, we all do, but I'm hopeful for the future. That's really cool. I want to hear about your YouTube channel. And uh, first of all, uh, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I am 26 years old. I turned 27 in May. You are older than I thought, man. You could pass for like 23 probably on your current current YouTube uh, <laughs> videos and the early ones. Holy smokes. <laughs> like you could have passed for 15, I think. But but like I said, I certainly don't mean that in any kind of negative way. You are just so positive, enthusiastic, charismatic and real. You know, I mean, Thank you. you shed the tears when you have to shed the tears and you tell it how it is. And it's really, really impressive. You have over 10,600 subscribers. That's yes. phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. And, Thank you. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you st- I don't know if I got this right. I was imagining that you started YouTubing before you ever spoke about depression. There were other topics originally. Yes, I am still shocked that you know all this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I started YouTube three years ago, yeah. and it was about everything. But then uh, in June of 2017, you had one that said, what depression feels like. And I think that might have been your first one. Um, That was, that was. Was it before okay. that? 
it was it was after that but you really know your stuff <laughs> um i i ended up changing the channel to depression talks march of 2000 and uh and 19 no wait sorry 2018 okay um, okay yeah. so june of 2017 you have a video that talks about what depression feels like mm-hmm. and man i i really want First of all, I think anybody listening to this show, please, please check out Emmanuel Jones's uh, YouTube channel. It's phenomenal. But this June 17th of 2017 video, you title What Depression Feels Like. And man, a few things I want to say about it. First of all, it's so real and it is so you're a very talented dude who um, is really creative. And you had two of you up there. One was the depressed you and one was the non-depressed you. And you were talking yes. to both. And and then I also, so that was incredibly cool. And the way you did Thank it you. and how the positivity fades away and one of you, the positive person faded away. And then what I also just really, really appreciate was even though the entire video was around depression, you said... I'm going to end on a positive note because that's important to me. So you managed to talk about some real serious, real heavy stuff and, and leave people with a sense of positivity and hope. Yes. I, well, honestly, just hearing you say that it's, it's really, uh, motivational because it makes me, you know, want to watch inspired to keep going. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. I'm glad. I'm glad because you should yeah. keep going. Holy, holy smokes. You know, uh, 10,600 sub- subscribers. Clearly you're having an impact on people and I know you get a ton of comments and so forth. So I hope it's not just me sharing that with you, Emmanuel. I hope you know, like you are making a huge difference. So your YouTube channel, I want to make sure as a non-YouTuber that I get this right. Like your YouTube station is titled Depression Talks or DT Nation. Did I get that right? And if not, please share with the uh, listeners. Yes. Um, so Depression Talks is my YouTube channel and the YouTube community is DT Nation. You can find that on Facebook. Just type in DT Nation. I have a private DT Nation Facebook group. And uh, YouTube, just type in Depression Talks or Emmanuel Jones, and you'll find the channel that way as well. Emmanuel with an I. Emmanuel with an I, yes. (laughs) I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L. Hey, uh, share with us, how'd you get into the YouTubing? I actually used to be a dancer. <laughs> I used to be a, uh, a hip-hop and a freestyle dancer. Um, I used to upload videos on YouTube of me dancing. And then I was like, you know what? A lot of people tend to ask me for advice. Why can't I just help more people than the people around me? And then that's when I started doing YouTube. I was like, I want to help people. I want to show people that they're not alone. And um, and motivate people to help them believe they can do anything they put their mind to. And that's what started YouTube for me. That is really cool. And I did watch one also. Uh, I told you I couldn't stop watching them where you <laughs> tried to you attempted to dance away your depression, which is yes. awesome, too. That is yes. so cool. Um, so. Tell us about kind of the layout of your channel. Like you have some question answer sessions where you're answering some questions that have been submitted. You also have some that are kind of clustered in different topics. Mm -hmm. Yes. So on my YouTube channel, I have different playlists and every Monday at 7 p.m. I do a live stream 7 p.m. Eastern. 
I do a live stream. That's one playlist. Um, I have another playlist called Short Films where I kind of, you know, video my experience with depression or give motivational speeches. And then I have a depression and dating playlist where if you're dating somebody that deals with depression or you deal with depression yourself, how do you handle that in a dating situation? So I talk about a lot of different topics around depression, but I think I'm going to kind of narrow that down to more motivational content, like the compliment series. That's a really big one that I'm, I'm passionate about. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And then it seems that you have also started podcasting. Yes, um, I do have a podcast. It's called The Depression Talks Podcast. I'm very happy about it. It just crossed 60,000 downloads. And a lot of people are, are DMing me saying that it's impacting them in a positive way. So uh, if you are interested in checking out that podcast, just type in Depression Talks Podcast on Spotify and it should be the number two result that you uh, that you see. Awesome. I know it's on iTunes as well, right? Yes, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, anywhere a podcast podcatcher can be found. Fantastic. How do you make time for all of this? The <laughs> videos, the the podcast. That is that's that's a good one. Um <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, honestly, the, to answer that question, if you want something bad enough, you'll make time. And it's a priority for me that I help show people that they're not alone. So Yes, I have a full-time job. After work, I'll spend four or five hours working on business stuff, life coaching, editing videos, shooting video, editing podcasts, and it's all worth it every time knowing that that episode is going to help show somebody that they're not alone. That is so cool. And would you say you have a preference of the YouTubing versus the podcasting? Which one uh, do you have a favorite? Lately, actually, it's been YouTubing. At first, it was the podcast, but now it's been YouTube because I feel like I give a, a kind of a deeper impact through YouTube, and at least for me. But the podcast is a very close second because a lot of people have told me how it's impacted them in a positive way emotionally. So mm, for me, it'd be YouTube and doing live streams on YouTube. I love doing that. That's awesome. So I would say uh, they both, to me, are incredibly impactful. I love, love, love the YouTube stuff. And for me, it's just like your videos are, first of all, like I've mentioned a few times, you're, you're just such a positive guy. You got a great smile on your face. You talk you. real, right? And you just put so much creativity into your videos. And even as a podcaster myself, I feel like I feel like the podcasting can be incredibly creative, but but not half as much as what you can do with video. Right. That's that's true. You know, it's to me a podcast is a bit easier to edit, but a video gives a bit more since it's visual. You know, you kind of connect yeah. with it just on a different level. Absolutely, a, a much yeah. higher level in my mind. But but you know, everybody's different. People love different platforms, and that's I should true. not be down talking podcasts because that's <laughs> my modem. <laughs> uh, all right, so hey, uh, tell us a little bit about your coaching as well. So you do some life coaching. I wanted to make sure people knew how to reach out to you if they'd like to uh, contact you for some coaching. Yes, if you would like to contact me for coaching uh, because I help people learn how to 
live with depression so that way they can live their best life with depression. Um, email me at emmanueljones at outlook.com. Again, that's uh, Emmanuel with an I, so I had to spell it out. I-M-M-A-N-U-E-L jones at outlook.com. And I would love to work with you. Awesome. I will have that um, as well as your other websites on the notes next to the episode as well. And uh, Emmanuel, before we uh, wrap up here, I want to ask you, uh, what is your biggest piece of advice or something that you would share with a listener who might be struggling right now? Hmm. That's a good question. Okay. If you are struggling right now, there's two things I want to say. One, you are not alone. There are countless amount of people that go through mental health and go through depression and feel like not being here anymore. So you are not alone in how you feel. The second thing is understanding that it takes you to take action to change your life. If you want things to change, if you're not happy about your depression, you're not happy about where you are in life, get professional help and take action right now to bring about change in your life. That's what I would say. Awesome. I love it. Well, Emmanuel, I want to thank you. I want to tell um, all of our listeners, I just want to give you one more shout out. Please, please <laughs> check out Emmanuel Jones's YouTube channel. Check <laughs> out his you. podcast. Uh, but one, once you watch one of his videos, I think you're going to be up late watching them. So make sure you check <laughs> it out early enough that you can watch them and not go to bed too late because we know how important sleep is for your mental health. Yes. And uh, Emmanuel, thank you so much for all that you do to support others around their mental health journey. And, uh, and thank you for taking the time to uh, allow me to interview you. Al, thank you for having me. I really enjoy Depression Files. And um, you are awesome for making this happen. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Well, make sure you stay healthy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. If you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the United States, you can text 741-741 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can go to suicide.org for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit the like button. In addition, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.